Welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. This is the podcast where we discuss career counselling, career guidance, mental health awareness and mental health training in the workplace. With your hosts, Patrick, Sally, Tina and Amy. Today I welcome Narissa, the co-founder of Filter Global, to the Careers and Mental Health Conversations podcast. Thanks for joining us, Narissa. Thanks, Patrick. So excited, so pumped to be here. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to have a really good conversation today about your experience with careers. You've been involved in the recruitment, staffing and HR and outsourcing industries since 2002. So you've certainly got some experience in, in that industry. Was that something that you always wanted to to be involved in or did you just sort of fall into that as you started out working? Good question. Actually, um, when my first career was, um, and I don't know if you know this, but um, being a church minister. I didn't yeah, know that, no. so I guess when you think about myself and my career, it's always been about people. So when I left high school, I had thought um, my career for the rest of my life would be a Christian church minister. So I studied theology, I did missionary work. I got my first job as a as a church minister um, and did that for a number of years and then for a number of reasons decided to, to leave and it was actually serendipity really how I got into recruitment. I was temping, so of course leaving the church um, and it's, you know, you're not in an office environment, you're out and about all the time and it's always talking to people. Didn't know what I wanted to do, so I temped through a recruitment firm and my recruiter said to me for two years, Marissa, I think you'd be great in recruitment because you really genuinely like people, you're interested in people, and you're really competitive. Oh, so, that, helps. <laughs> that helps in that industry, yeah. Yeah, and so I, funnily enough, I went for a job with that, that recruitment firm. I didn't get it because I said my personality traits at the time was too counsely. You're not going to make it because you're not sales focused enough. You know, you're all about the people. And um, so I started my first job in recruitment in admin. And I was, I joined an accounting boutique firm and I was the first person ever to be appointed as a consultant in 10 years who didn't come from an accounting background. So it was a real privilege because I got to work with um, ex accountants, they were all ex accountants who came from pretty much Ernst and Young. So it was great exposure and FYI, I failed accounting at school. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> so it's quite ironic that then I started recruiting. So that's how I, yeah, how I led into recruitment. Great. I mean, well, you actually ended up starting your own recruitment firm, Brown & Chase, which we'll touch on because we're going to talk a little bit about the evolution of, of the workforce today yep. and, get, and get your thoughts on the industry and where it's headed. So how do you want to start your own business? Were you just working in recruitment and thought maybe you could see this happening a better way or what was your inspiration for starting uh, a recruitment firm? Um, a number of things. My, so my husband and I both co-founded um, the recruitment business and we had grown up in families where both our parents were business owners. So we kind of grew up in that world and we had always thought we want to open a business before we're 30. Interestingly enough, um, the CEO that we used to work for, he once said to us, when you decide to open your own business, do it in a recession, which seems like the weirdest advice to give. But he said, you will truly know if you can make it because you learn the value of relationships and the value of money. So the GFC hit and we had great paying jobs. We had a mortgage, cars, etc. And we were like, oh, well, let's do it. 
and that's really how it kind of came about. It was like a conversation one night. The next day we resigned and then we're working from home with two cats and, um, you know, your laptop. And your husband was in recruitment at the time as well? Yes. So we'd actually, funnily enough, met at work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it does, it does work. We've been married for 13 years and, and worked together pretty much for 13 years. And still do. And still and do. still do, yep. So um, I think the, the great thing was is the disciplines. We don't focus in the same sectors. Um, we have very different styles. So it was really complementary yep. in how we do business and how we support clients. And we had the same philosophy about people and careers and businesses. Right. Now, you owned Brown & Chase for a number of years. Yep. Uh, was it about 2009 to about 2016, there and thereabouts? Yeah, so actually, um, so again, we started in Brisbane, very small, and grew nationally, but we actually sold it in April 2017. 17. So we started Filter Global um, in 2016, but we then realised, you know, you've got to commit. And it's very hard, as you can appreciate, running to completely different businesses you know brown and chase was everyone was over 40 so 40 to 70 and we were the babies we considered the babies whereas filter global is all millennials yeah and i really so it's it's like totally two different types of even people you're dealing with but that is just a typical sign of how careers and how the industry is changing right and and i do actually want to touch on filter global Explain to me, one, your inspiration for starting Filter Global, which is an offshoring and and management-style business, and two, just explain to our listeners a little bit about what Filter Global is and and what you do. Absolutely. So Filter Global, we teach uh, people how to build and manage a global team. So originally it was purely offshoring. So we have uh, we identified Philippines as the best place to find talent that was um, in sync with our Western culture and in line with how we do business um, and the time zone's perfect. You know, it's only two hours behind. So that came about and then we identified it couldn't escape Australian recruitment <laughs> because what happens is, and this is the beauty of offshoring and why I love it, is – you're helping businesses not just survive but thrive and there's so much pressure on particularly SMEs at the moment and people are really looking at their people resources and they're looking at their structures and saying what's the best way of getting business done and how can we remain innovative and um, staying ahead of the game, staying ahead of their competition. And offshoring allows like um, offshoring corporate back-end functions so, for instance, we focus on digital, IT, developers, uh, creatives, um, accounting, law and admin. So that's our key core specialties. And we've seen businesses who have, you know, sent their back office to the Philippines and and then because it's becoming so efficient, they've got some more cash and they can invest it in their local onshore teams and start really focusing on strategy and and sales and client service roles. So we see it as both complementing and really creating jobs actually in Australia. And when you started uh, Filter Global, was it because you saw a need with some of the current clients that you're working with in Australia and you saw maybe they were just getting behind or suffering because they were applying too much effort into their back end and you thought, well, there's got to be a better and easier way. Uh, is that sort of one of the reasons that you started? or? Really good point. Um, actually, it started with our Australian recruitment business. So at the time, we needed to – Effort and I have always been about consistency and quality. 
And regardless if a client is dealing with you in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, San Francisco, they should be getting the same type of work being produced. And we wanted to have a central administrative team and part of that would be to um, audit (laughs) recruitment consultants, (laughs) which can be a bit loose, you know. So when we investigated the you know, really the cost, it was really cost that drove us at the time. It was like, we just couldn't afford to do it. As a small business, it just wasn't viable. So it was actually one of our clients who suggested, hey, go offshoring for Philippines and try it that way. We fell into it. And what we identified um, was there's a real lack with making it work for small business because small business, we can't afford for things to fail. Right, it costs time and money um, that a lot of people don't have. And every dollar counts with a small business. You just can't take the risk that big nationals, internationals can. Yeah, and what offshoring traditionally is, is basically someone's in another office and then you get an invoice on the 15th of the month and said, hey, you work it all out. And that's why it's failing because no one's teaching people, hey, the market, so the, the Philippines recruitment market is completely different to the Australian, American, UK market. If you don't know that, you just assume that people are being recruited the same way that we're exposed to here, which is not true. So it's also partnering with someone for getting the right people for your business. And then how do you engage them? How do you onboard them? How do you make them part, an extension of your local team? And that's where we identified um, our success. So it actually was an organic business. We had clients here who, I mean, working on massive global big brands and they were started in development. So, you know, developers now, they want 150K and yep. they've got three years experience. So they had a great team culture. And so this is the first business that signed up with us. A great team culture, great management, great projects, great brands. But they had three developers leave in the period of eight months um, for, my, for more money. Because there's a demand out there for good developers. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the exposure they were having, they were getting snapped up and it just wasn't economical. Mm. So originally they said, well, you do all our recruitment in Australia and I know you're doing offshoring and it's working for you. We've tried offshoring before. It's failed. Can you try it with us? So we did it for free. We were like, yeah, you know, we'll charge your recruitment fee because we're doing all the approaching, headhunting, but they can sit in our team and we'll help manage them. One became three, three became six. Wow. And then F and I were like, there's a business here. There's a model here, yeah. There's a model here that people are not tapping into and we have seemed to have worked out the secret sauce mm. of, of making it work. And, and, and I guess we had the privilege of seeing it from both sides. We, can, we understand how people work in Australia and how to get the most out of people um, within your team and then doing it on um, the Philippine side. And I guess that's part of uh, the, you know, having a successful offshoring business would be knowing, getting to know the staff in the Philippines as well, having that connection. I know you and Efren travel yes. to the Philippines every year, a couple of times a year. So how important is it to have you know, good, reliable staff over there, but also staff that you manage and can connect with? Absolutely critical. I think people often think about, oh, I'm just sending something to the internet and it will come back through the internet. Mm. And I'm like, they're people. And just as you take recruitment and hiring people here seriously, because it ultimately affects your bottom line and one bad apple can destroy a whole team. You know, like it's, it's critical to get it right. I absolutely believe 
It's one of the most critical. It doesn't matter how great your culture is or your onboarding or your training or your product. If you don't hire the right person, it's going to fail. So even more so when you're talking about an international team, technical ability is obviously paramount, but you've got to, connect, you've got to, you've got to like them. Just as you've got to like people here, you've got to like working with them or see, the, see and, and have a chat and communicate. So, and that's honestly the biggest issue where we've seen people fail. It's like, I'll just send them a message once a week. It's like, no, in your office, would you not say hello to everybody? Exactly. When you walk in? Connect. Yeah, so sometimes it's the obvious things that people forget because they're not sitting next to us. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a really important point. I mean, just because they're in the Philippines, they have a mortgage too. You know, they have families to look after. They've got lifestyles they need to live. And, and to do that, they need work. Absolutely. So, I mean, they're dependent on work to survive. You're dependent on work here to survive. It's, it's just because they're in another country doesn't mean they won't get the, the job done. Exactly. Just and need I- the right management. I agree. And I think um, that's where a lot of our coaching comes into. And it's the little things that we've seen had the most dramatic effects. And like I always like say, what, for example? Oh, like, so I did an audit the other day about webcams. So everyone obviously has a webcam. And part of um, our onboarding is making sure that the Australian team also have webcams um, connected to their computers. And and I was auditing more on, because um, it's quite funny, sometimes you can only see their eyes or like their chin. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, we want to see your face. Webcam challenges, yes. Right. <laughs> um, and I was talking to two developers and they said, I don't know why you're doing it because our manager, our employer never, he talks to us on the phone all the time and we use like Slack. So we're always messaging and talking on the phone, but we don't see each other. I haven't seen him in six months, his face. And so I rang the manager here and I was like, hey, you know, what's going on? And he said, Narissa, um, I don't need to check up on them. I trust that they know what they're doing. I said, oh, you, no, you're not understanding. It's not about checking up on people. It's about continually building relationships. And as we all know, there's nothing more powerful than seeing someone. And you can see reactions. You can see if people are getting you, but it's building that relationship on a personal level and a business level and it's engagement. So again, it's just sometimes something sounds so simple, but the effects of it are massive. Are, are massive. I think that's, that's an amazing point, but it really ties into our evolution of, of workforce because, oh, I mean, five, six, seven years ago, you, you could have done this, but the technology wasn't as good, wasn't as consistent. Yep. But now we've got... FaceTime, we've got Skype and sim- similar types of applications. It's just so easy to check in with someone else in some other part of the world. I mean, only last night I was uh, we were FaceTiming my mother-in-law in, in the UK and it was just yep. like, Lovely. it's just so easy. My kids are on there, they can see her and interact with her. It's just, there's no excuse anymore. I mean, to see someone, it's it's almost become part of our, our existence. You know, we just Skype or we FaceTime or we do something similar. It's really simple. Yeah, and I think like even with Google, you know, Hangouts. Hangouts, yeah. It's perfect. A lot of um, project management now has video and calls. So it's quite fascinating how you could talk to someone in Bulgaria and the connection is amazing. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like they're next door. Mm. So I think you're right. I think technology has allowed people to connect and have exposure to different ways of working mm. and different cultures and it's easy. Yeah. Before it used to be hard. 
mm. and it was expensive. I, I think that's, that's also a good point because I, I feel a lot of companies would love to invest in offshore and, and take that on. I, I feel they think it's either maybe a little bit too hard or there's some fear about how do we manage that. So is that where you sort of found a little niche in managing the offshore for the clients because that would eliminate a lot of the fear for, for in terms of how do we manage these people? How do we know they're actually doing our work and they're the right people? Absolutely. I think that's a great point. I think that where the comfort is, is number one, Efren and I believe in staying in Australia. So a lot of Australian-owned offshoring companies, their CEO or their senior management actually end up moving to Manila or Cebu or Clark, wherever they are based. Whereas Efren and I are like, we're here. We can go on a flight to Melbourne. We can go on a flight to Perth, Sydney. We can literally drive up the road. So I think there's comfort because they know we're here. Mm. but also it's education so you're right people it's the fear it's the fear of the unknown so even things like we're doing a workshop tomorrow just to create a position description and our position descriptions are not two pages it's 17 pages and it's uncovering business the the position capabilities what success and failure looks like and people don't even think about these things like in not in general recruiting here a lot of the time it's like oh my god I've never thought of that and the reason we do it is they're invested and they feel like someone's helping me um even creating like a position description which can be quite scary yeah interviewing you know it's like how do I interview I'm not even a good interviewer here I might interview twice a year we sit in on interviews we help guide questions infrastructure you know it's amazing like we just signed a, a client who they're in the real estate commercial area and they don't use Microsoft Office or Google. And I'm like, but how do you send emails? And they're like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, which is fine. Yeah. This is like real life, right? It is, yeah. These are highly experienced people. And I'm like, so how do you communicate? It's like, oh, mainly over the phone. Oh, actually, we do have a system. I don't know how to use it, but someone kind of sends emails for me. when, Like my wife does it for me. Yeah. I was like, okay. So it's even talking people about, what systems you need you know what i mean it's it's all encompassing so it's it's more than just offshoring as a service it's it's almost like a full coaching sort of um, service that you have as well like you really ingrain yourselves in part of their team it's a partnership so i think the issue has always been with recruitment is um and i appreciate you know a lot of recruiters are hated right i don't even like most recruiters they're weirdos they're egomaniacs but i've always seen it as I'm with you through the good and the bad. And I think offshoring is you are in partnership because it's not where you're placing someone in a job in, in, say, Milton and they don't want to talk to you. Like They're like, okay, I've got my person now. Don't ever call me again. I'll call you if something goes wrong. Whereas in offshoring, you're part of their business because that person's working for them and you're helping them manage them and trying to get the best out of work performance. We do all the, we assist clients with all the performance reviews. We do all the onboarding and we help them put induction plans together. So it's quite, you're right, it's quite intense. Mm. But again, it's about how can I make your life easier? And you need it to work and I'm here to help you make it work. And like you said, by you managing that part of the process and getting as involved as you do, that allows them to go out and do what they do best, whether Absolutely. it's selling or management or something else. But um, it just really eliminates that part of their their business so they can focus on growing their own. 
Exactly. And that's what we're all about. Like my passion is always about business growth yep. and, and also people who join businesses that they're having professional growth and they're achieving goals and challenges. So I always think it's interlinked. Mm. And that's why I really love what I do because I actually feel like I'm contributing in a positive way to their business. How have you seen the growth of your business over the last few years? I mean, I know it's still early days, but yes. from tw- late 2016, early 2017 to now, halfway through 2018, yes. how, how have things changed over that time? You know, it's been quite dramatic. Like even um, I would say, I think if we look back at offshoring five years ago, if you talk to an Australian business owner, it was generally conceived as, as or perceived as negative. And we don't do that because it's stealing Australian jobs. The conversations I've had um, in the past three years actually are more about we need to look at our people resources. We have to do something because we can't survive. So what are the best ways? Is it how do we restructure our business? Maybe it's remote workforce. Maybe it's people part-time. Maybe it's engaging freelancers for a period of time and then the offshoring piece. So I think people are much more open about um, and the realities of business, right? It's making life it's so much harder now. So I think, yeah, people are really engaged and more and more small businesses are doing it. That's extremely important. So what you're basically saying is it's not stealing Australian jobs because by doing this, Australian companies are flourishing and then they can hire more people to do other parts of their business once they get going. I mean... Absolutely. This... And that's, that's actually happened to every single one of our customers. Really? Yep. That's amazing. And that's what's exciting. Yeah, yeah. And I think too on that, it's not just my own experience. It's, there, was a, there was a study done. There was about three or four universities all over the world, two of them in Australia, who did a study about the effects of offshoring in the local economies. So it wasn't just Australia. There was the US, there was the UK and parts of Europe. And it all found that it didn't steal jobs, that every economy was affected in a positive way because of that because um, people were able to reinvest in roles. And, and I'm a really big believer of sales should be in your local country. Oh, definitely. You know what I mean? Or client-facing strategy. And if you talk to most people, like when I talk to people in jobs, they don't want to be doing the grunt work. They want to be, you know, helping people and guiding them and consulting and coaching and being with them on their journey. So I think that's uh, that's really exciting. Well, as a, a lot of small business owners would tell you, that uh, wages is obviously a, big, a massive drain on on their, um, their their end profit, absolutely, or basically or their total revenue, as well as taking the time to train, onboard, and and manage staff. Like that's obviously a massive drain of of resources as well. It's great if you can get staff, but keeping and re- and retention is is really tough. So I guess that helps solve one of those issues if you're managing the process for them yes yeah and i don't say is where the soul i always say it's your job too they're your people yeah you know what i mean they work for you so the responsibility is largely on you but i'll help you get there what what changes are you seeing in the industry now in terms of you know you've been in recruitment since 2002 15 16 years and i mean this never would have been talked about back in those early days because we just didn't think we'd get to that but now it's becoming more and more common with businesses across australia so what trends do you see emerging in, in the industry? I think the biggest thing um, I see a lot of about entrepreneurship and I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going to start up and I'm going to be doing my own thing, um, which I think is a whole lot of bollocks, to be honest with you. I think it's very dangerous that everyone thinks I'm an entrepreneur, but it's like 
so what have you done to do that? Most people say nothing, but I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there's a dangerous trend of I'm going to I'm going to create a product and everyone's going to buy it. Um so I'm very I don't think a lot of people realize how challenging it is to be a business owner and the stress and the complexity of the problems you're dealing with. So that's what I see particularly in the younger um the younger people I chat to or I shouldn't say younger but those that are entering the workforce. However, I think globalization has definitely moved into the forefront of the gig economy. Mm. So for instance, I have I know someone who's an accountant in the commercial world and she's a side business and it's selling protein shakes. She's doing phenomenally well, but for her, she never wants to, that's not going to be a full-time business. She loves her job and she wants career progression, but she's also thinking, I have a creative side. I'm kind of interested in this. I think other will be, how can I capitalize? So I think in terms of careers and trends, I think it will move in towards freelancing, contracting, short-term engagements. Mm. I think this whole thing about tenure and being with a business forever is like people saying that to me 17 years ago. Oh, no one sticks around. I'm like, yeah, that's life. Like own it. Like for business owners, they need to face reality. Yes, we all want people to stay with us. Of course. Like I love my team. They're massive contributors. I don't want them to leave. But hello, do I think that I'm going to offer them everything they need for their career? No. There's Probably too many not. options now. There's too much. Like you said, you could just go and set up a side hustle type of business and sell something online if you're a bit creative and it might not be your career, but it might just be something to supplement your interest at the time. Absolutely. And that's the reality we're in. And I think too, before, if you wanted to work for a Fortune 500 company or a Silicon Valley, you literally had to relocate your whole life, try and get a visa you know, that's why, you know, everyone used to go to the UK to get jobs, to expand and broaden their experience. Now you literally can work for a US company or a Bulgarian company and you don't have to leave your house. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? How, how amazing is that for people in Australia? You know, like our options are endless as employees. You know, the world has widened and we've got those opportunities. Do you get the feeling, I mean, this is my personal opinion, I get the feeling these days people want to start the next fortune 500 company without even really going through the work or the experience or or whatever it takes to to build that everyone wants to build the next atlassian or something you know yes software or tech that goes global but geez there's a lot of hard work that goes into that before you can can be that person so um there's a little bit of a discrepancy out there between reality and actually what you need to do i think and i think too like and not and um look i think Yes, and you do hear it from your 22, 23-year-olds. But the reality is, you know, we always blame the millennials. And I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but, you know, like they, they don't face reality. They want everything given to them. When I think about it, I think when I was 22, I thought I knew everything. I thought I was the best at everything. Is it really that we're that different? No. Is it, is it really that we didn't think we were awesome and we wanted the world? No, the difference is we didn't ask for it. So I think in terms of, and I'm probably going to go on a tangent here from from your question, but I agree with you that sometimes there's a mismatch in reality, but also what I'm seeing is people are doing some amazing things and things that I think, I don't know how you got that job. Like sometimes I do honestly think, I'm like, how did you get that job? Because you don't have it, but they believe in themselves and they've done something to support it. So I think even as employers, again, like my team's all millennials, that 
you need to listen to your team. You know when we talked about tenure before? Yeah. Tenure can still happen. Longevity in a business can still happen, but you've got to listen to what your team is saying and then act on it. And I would like to give you an example. With um, our longest employee of two years, she started with us as grad. She's got a bachelor in psychology. She's a dean's listener. And she wanted to join our business because it's a people business. Great. In, but it was an administrative role, pure admin. But in her interview, she said, I've got this degree um, in the Philippines um, to deliver psychometric testing. You have to be board certified. So I'm going to do this test and I want to use it. So instead of me going, yeah, 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 that's lovely. I, we identify that. We, she got the job and then we're like, let's put a 12-month pl- training pro- program. So yes, you're doing administration. Yes, I know it's tedious. Yes, I know it can be monotonous. But how can we also get you to use your skills in this side? And she's had four promotions in two years. And when I was 22, I was cleaning the director's shoes. <laughs> yeah. Like, no joke. I was actually polishing their shoes. And it was all about um, career you know, you had to be in a business a long time to, get to career, work your way up. To work your way up. No shortcuts, effectively. Yeah, and yeah. I think like I've interviewed about ten thousand people, and the same things are still occurring with what employees are saying. And I think business owners just need to wake up and listen to what your team is saying. Yeah, and it starts normally right from the interview process. They actually telling you what you want. You need to work out: can I deliver on that, and how can I help them on the journey? And maybe that's only a year. Maybe you can only get them where they need to be before they want to move on. And we have to accept that. So in relation to the evolution of the workforce, has that flipped on its head where it used to be you joined a company, you towed the line, you did as you were told, but now almost we have to ask the the new employees, what do you want? What can we give to you to keep you? Like, (laughs) is that like a a big change in the the Oh, absolutely. I think we'd all say that, that, you know, when we were starting out and even me, like, um, you know, I'm not even 40 yet, but it's still sometimes you think, man, what I used to have to do, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. To get ahead, I would never ask for a pay rise. You know, like it was, I worked plenty 12-hour days and that's what you did and cleaning the director's shoes and, you know, doing all the shit. That's what you had to do. Of course. Right? Now, and you now it's a totally different economy, but I'm really like, to be frank with you, Patrick, I'm sick and tired of business owners complaining about it. It's like, Deal with it. Adapt or die. Yeah. This is life. And I think we focus so much on the millennials and Gen Ys and now the Gen Zs coming through about they want everything. No, they're just willing to ask for it. Exactly. Right? And also the world has changed and we have to adapt. But also I think with that, people have really are not listening to their staff who are 40 plus because generally they don't complain. True. Like even when I interview them, like they have normally, um, you know, they're not as confident as saying I'm awesome. You know what I mean? Like they think I'm loyal, I'm hardworking, I can do the job, I just want to be in a happy environment, that's enough. Now that's a very broad generalisation. But I think too as a business owner is listen to everybody in your business. Yeah. And like you said, some things like the Friday night social drinks or playing ping pong or having sleeping pods, that can be quite critical for some members of your team, but also understanding that some people just want to be home with their families. Exactly, yeah. And some of them want to work from home a few days a week or start late because they want to take their children to school. I'm very much about um, 
like this is the world and instead of bitching and moaning about it, like let's embrace it. Let's embrace it. Yeah. Which is a good segue for businesses in Australia in terms of adaption. Do you feel that if some don't actually start to look at offshoring as a serious business tool that they might not be around to to flourish and and you know it could be to their detriment yes i think a perfect case is we had a commercial cleaning business come to us and obviously cleaners you need to be physically present you know you can't offshore that to philippines and then do your house remotely that's not that's not happening but all their administration accounts and they had come to us saying, look, we need to do something. We've already looked at our – we've talked to our accountant. We, we need to change something within our business. Um, they've gone under. They've actually – so they went bankrupt, closed, and they said to us – and this is a really sad conversation to have with someone – is if we'd listened to you six months ago, we wouldn't be in this place. Yeah. Now, when I talk about offshoring, is it the only solution for a business? I would say it's an absolutely – massive part of a business but I'm always like maybe it's you know like there's a business in Sydney that we're chatting to they have 50 staff members but none of them live in Australia oh sorry there's two in Australia and everyone else is everywhere in the world Um, and they all work remote so basically work from home so they have different challenges but sometimes that's the answer and I think there's no one one answer but I do know like look at the accounting industry conservative, um, always do things the same way. Um, the Chartered Accountants of Australia released a white paper basically saying, if you don't offshore, you are going to die. You are going wow. to close. Really? Yeah, because the threat is so massive because all their competitors are doing it. Yeah. And they're able to drive, like, it's benefit to us as customers because they're looking at innovative ways of doing our accounting and it's more cost-effective. And... Um, that's a pretty powerful statement to make. Massive, massive. Well, I personally work for a big digital agency and, and international, and um, during over my four or five years with them, they started to offshore certain elements of the business towards the end, and I'm, I'm almost certain that if they didn't, probably would have gone under. So yes. that just goes to show, you, even for a big business, yes. if, if you don't adapt and start to look at these strategies, you can get swallowed up and, and spat out quite quickly and, and everyone just moves on to the next big business, right? So if you want to survive, it's almost becoming a, a critical thing to, to invest in or at least look at. Yeah, absolutely. And explore it and be open to it. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's the difference is I'm never about this is the only way. Sometimes people have come to us and said, I want to offshore this role or this function. And it's like, no, it will fail. Oh, so you can actually provide some critical advice based on... Absolutely. That's actually not the solution for you. So that's, Yeah, sometimes that's really it's like you need to do it here okay. and that's your solution. And I think that's why because I've, I've come from the Australian recruitment and I've recruited all over the world, but I understand a business and I understand what's going to work and what's not. And I think it's really powerful when you can say to a business owner that let's look at it, but that what you want to do it's not going to work it's going to fail for you so don't do it yep. or if you want to do it you're not going to do it through us yeah if it's not if it's not in their best interest then i think that's important no. to give that over yeah yeah and i think people like that because i think it's really hard to find people who tell you the truth everyone wants money yeah no that's you know that's what i mean so true. everyone wants yeah. money and it's all about them it's like actually 
if it doesn't work for you, we're going to hear about it because we're in partnership with you. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so important, especially for small business who rely on, on the correct advice to, to survive. So Absolutely. Where do you think Australia is in compared to the rest of the world in terms of offshoring and using modern technology to, to run a workforce? I think we're actually on par. I think we're really, um, I, well, I think because of technology moving so fast, we've had to. I do think there are some certain markets that have a bit more evolved. But uh, to give you an example in terms of, you know, finding recruiting people, you know, Asia particularly, like I think it's quite fascinating how they do things and we've had to adapt to that. Where we're doing interviews now on Viber, WhatsApp, like you said, FaceTime, Skype, Hangouts. And it's really understanding that people now, you know, their lives are so hectic. How can we tap into them quickly and where they're in their comfort zone. So even attracting people. And I think um, there's this great company that's come out. I've written it down. Hang on. Yeah, Pymetrics. Pi- they're a US company. So they've been out only for two years in the US. Yep. They've just come out to Australia. So in terms of technology, normally we used to be five, ten years behind. Yeah, right? no, certainly. Yeah. Particularly you would know this in digital. We're always, always hear that massively behind. Yeah. But now with systems tech, I really think we've caught up because we have to. But Pymetrics come out in terms of the recruitment industry and they've got LinkedIn, Tesla as a client. They've just signed in Australia, Rio Tinto and ANZ. And it's all about neuroscience and AI recruitment as a recruitment tool wow. and you basically no matter what job it is you do games and it takes out all that unconscious bias of you know looking at a resume and that human side of choosing so i think even in that sense that technology is only two years old and it's already here yeah yeah like, that's exciting that is very exciting and and on your on that point like it works both ways right so australian companies offshoring to uh you know parts of asia or other parts of the world but other countries uh, other big um, companies in other countries can get Australian staff and we don't have to leave our living rooms. Absolutely. So it's, it's not like a one-way street. No, no, and that's what's exciting for both sides is, you know, doing business now. We've been talking to American clients. Right. Before they used to be on the phone or, you know, the video conferencing would always drop out. Now we've got heaps of tools. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people, I mean, one of our famous prime ministers, Paul Keating, he said we're at the arse end of the world for business. But that's changed. Absolutely. It's just our time zone. Like, it doesn't matter where you are. Like, things can be done. And I think, too, Australian businesses in general want to reach the global market. It's a big, wide world out there, and we, can, we now can tap into it, whereas before I think it was, you know, quite limiting. It is exciting. So what, uh, well, I was going to say, what excites you about the future and what's the, the vision for Filter Global moving forward? The vision for Filter Global is like we're 100% focused right now on one objective and that's to double by the end of December this that's, year. That's the goal, wow. Yes. So our whole team, we're 100% driven in doing that. So that's really our only, you know what I mean, major goal that we're focusing on. But really it's keep finding people that we like so businesses that we like working with who who value people regardless of where they live yep and are really looking at optimizing how they can do business better so it's attracting like-minded business owners um who want to go on that journey in terms of you know careers in general i think this is you know this is a magical era there's 
I think, you know, when we're talking about jobs, it's like hard to even comprehend what the future is going to be like, right? So, you know, I follow futurists and, and of course, what they're looking at is data and trying to predict what's happening through data. So I find it really fascinating, you know, like 10 years ago, so in digital, for instance, who even knew what a digital marketing person was? No one even knew what SEO was. We, we weren't even using social media ten years ago. Exactly. I mean, if we were. It was. We weren't advertising. So. Yeah. So you think about that now. All those jobs that were created that weren't even existing, and there's no courses you could go on. People were getting jobs purely because of, you know, self-taught, self-learnings. So I think um, in terms of careers, regardless if you're entering the workforce or you're you know, you've been in the workforce a long time, you've really got to focus on social intelligence and creative intelligence and hone those skills. And just like you said before, adapt or die. Those that will succeed are those that will adapt. I agree. And it's moving so fast. I mean, I was listening to a podcast just last night, a well-known entrepreneur, and he's like, don't set 10-year goals because no one knows what's going to happen in 10 years. It's changing that quick. He says set like one, two, three, four-year goals. Yes. Because no one knows what's going to happen so quick in you know that, that amount of time. So Absolutely. It's mind-blowing what, what jobs can be created that we can't even fathom. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And I, I did a podcast on that just the other week about open up your mind. Like if you're not in your ideal career now – it might be around the corner. You might not have even explored what your ideal career is. So Yeah, it might not even exist. Yeah, so now, Narissa, just before we finish up today, just enlighten our listeners, what challenges do you see for current business owners uh, that they face with their employees and, and their career ambitions? Okay, Patrick, I'm going to leave your listeners with this quote. It's by Tom Goodwin. The greatest threat to businesses isn't knowing too little. It's knowing too much about the old way of doing things. So in line with that, it's about stop thinking the old way and embracing the new and being an active participant with what's happening in the world and what's um, going on with career trends and, and people and understanding how people are being driven and what's um, important to them. Great. I love that advice. Well, Narissa, thanks for joining the Careers and Mental Health Conversations podcast. I, I can just sort of feel your passion for what you do. It's like really evident that you, you love doing it. And I think you're in an exciting space. I'm, I'm really look forward to watching on and, and watching Field of Global grow and, and see you spread the word to more Australian businesses. I think it's important that um, if you haven't considered it or you weren't sure how it works, then just have a look at sort of the companies like yours that are doing it because you're making it super simple and then companies can flourish on after that, after using you guys and, and grow just from uh, using something tactical like offshoring. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was a pleasure, Honor. It's good to chat through it. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks again, Narissa, and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Patrick. If you enjoyed this podcast and you would like us to appear in your feed, please hit the subscribe button, and you're also welcome to leave us a review. For more information, visit careerdevelopmentcentre.com.au.